pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for tonight. Thank you for the uh, fun that we can have as a camaraderie. Lord, I ask as we're getting to this new section that you guide and direct our conversation tonight. Help us to glorify you with it. Um, but also as we're diving into this stuff, help us to be better prepared for when those times that you bring people into our lives that we can share the gospel with, that we would be uh, knowledgeable and be able to see through things that uh, normally people wouldn't. Help us do that by your Holy Spirit. Um, so that in all things you are glorified, that we can lift up Christ in our conversations. Um, so we can point people back to the life you have, especially Good Friday's just a couple days away, and then we're celebrating Easter, and the resurrection of Jesus. Help us to be able to be ready for anyone that would ask us why we have the hope that we do. So that's this in your son's name, amen. Mm -hmm. All right, so, so we're in our last section, but we're only gonna cover half of this section. And we're going to try to do it all tonight. Okay, so no talking. <laughs> we're just going to barrel through this. No rabbit no uh, Oh, it's too late, man. You guys just messed it up. I'm going to be able to do it. All right, so here we go. So, um, real quick, what this um, video comes from is a, a group called FairMormon.org. Um, so their their what they put forth is their belief is that they are an apologetics group for Mormons. Okay, so. Um, so far, this is what we've used. We talked about Zachary Knight, who was an apologist for Islam, and now we're doing one um, through this organization called Fair Mormon. So this is the video that we're going to look at. And we're going to be looking at this thing that might get a little, little heady tonight because we're talking about some theology that's been around since the beginning of the church, especially in the Eastern uh, Church. And so we're going to get through this. But we're going to try to go as fast as we can. Are you guys ready? Oh, too bad. Welcome back to Fair Mormon Answers. Today we're going to be talking about theosis or the deification of man. Uh, this is going to be about a three part series. Uh, I'm going to make several videos on this, but this one uh, it goes over one principle, but it's fairly long, so it's going to have a video all to itself. And we're going to start in Revelations 2 26 and 27. It reads, He that overcometh, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod. And as you can see on your screen, this is Greek for rabbis, which is actually means scepter. So they shall rule them with a scepter of iron, as the vessels of the potter shall they be broken to shivers. The scepter was not only a symbol of ancient years and kingship, as found in Esther 5.2 and Amos 1.5 and 8, but in the Bible, the scepter of God's kingdom is said to be a right scepter, as in Psalms 45.6, or a scepter of righteousness in Hebrews 1.8. One Old Testament prophecy refers to the Messiah by the title of the scepter in Numbers 24.17. And in Isaiah 32.1, the ideal of rulership is summed up in the phrase, a king shall reign in righteousness. A connection to the promise of Revelations 2.26-27 can be detected in Revelations 19.11-16, where it is said that Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, the King of kings, judges and makes war in righteousness. He, he will smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod, again, a scepter of iron. Thus, the promise of, of Revelations 2, 26 and 27 is that they who will overcome will exercise the same type of kingly attributes and power that is possessed by the Savior. In order to attain these attributes and powers, a, a Christian would, of course, need to become a king, which is precisely what the Apostle John attested to in Revelations 1.6, where he stated that the followers of Christ had been made kings. This is a strong allusion to some type of initiation ceremony. A case for actual participation in regal rights is strengthened by comparison of the promise in Revelations 2.26 and 27, with an acknowledged Israelite coronation text in Psalms 2, 8, 9. This portion of the psalm reads, I shall give thee the heathen, which means nations, and thou shalt break them with a rod. And here again, we see the, the word is actually scepter of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Thus the promise to the ancient kings of Israel during their accession ceremonies was the very same promise that the Lord gave to his Meridian disciples. Alright, so, um, 
So he goes through, and one of the things I want us to notice is, so we talked about uh, Islam, right? And we went through, and we saw a lot of things where he would take things and just rip them out of context, rip um, the words, the words, he changed the, the Greek words, right? We saw that, the paraclete, the parakletos, right? Those two ideas, right? Well, what we're going to see now is with uh, the Mormons, is it's actually very subtle, okay? So, and we're going to walk through that. So, but first, I don't know if you heard it at the very beginning, it was kind of low. He was talking about this term theosis. He said, the, uh, talking about uh, divinity, uh, man becoming divine. So this word theosis. So I just want to cover that real fast because it is it is an important thing. So this is what theosis is. Theosis is the understanding that human beings can have real union with God and so become like God to such a degree that we participate in the divine nature. Primarily a term found in Eastern Orthodox and Oriental Orthodox theology from the Greek meaning deification or making divine. Theosis is a concept derived from the New Testament regarding the goal of our relationship with the Triune God. The term theosis and deification may therefore be used interchangeably in this context. Okay? So that's really important because in the early church, this term theosis, uh, which was a common term within the Greek speaking, was being used to talk about our relationship with God. Okay, And so that is the basis for it. All right? But this, it says, this, um, this does not imply that we become gods, but rather that we are to become the fullness of the divine image in which we were created, i.e. a perfect reflection of our God and become partakers of the divine nature. It may be related to the Protestant concept of sanctification, but goes further with what, we, with what may be expected in this life, emphasizing the element of our mystical union with God and Christ it may also be seen as something akin to the Wesleyan idea of entire sanctification. However, theosis remains a mystical concept that not easily uh, that concept not easily grasped and subject to various interpretations. So, um, one of the things that we teach in our basic doctrines class, and I found that 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 class is more and more important um, right now because there's a lot of things going on within Christianity, within progressive Christianity. That, that basic doctrines course is very important. That, so we're actually doing that next year um, because we need to go over doctrine and where it comes from and why it's important, okay? Um, but this idea of sanctification, we in the Protestant church or in the Western church, we use this term sanctification. And that term is basically, I like to just say, it's a cleanup of God, okay? It is, if you picture it like this, this is how I always think of it. You have justification, and you can picture all of this like laundry, right? So justification is getting into the washing machine. A sanctification is being cleaned, that cycle of being cleaned, and then glorification is being put out on the line to dry, okay? So you're dirty, you went in, you got clean, and then now you're out, okay? So this just, if you think of justification, sanctification, and glorification in those, that sense, you can have a quick understanding of what it means. So we are justified by Christ, sanctified, we're cleansed by His Word, and then by the Spirit, and then we are glorified when we are with Him. Okay? So but that idea of sanctification in Protestant circles just means a movement away from sin into the image of Christ. Now, theosis has that same basic understanding, but there's more to it that you're not, you're not divine in the sense that you become God, but rather that you are moving into God's divinity. Okay? In the same, it has that same basic understanding, though, that you're being cleansed from your sin, which puts you better into the image of God. But, um, uh, and so this all comes from this um, website called Theopedia. Right? That's just really important for us to understand because... When you, when you take it out of its context, okay? So the early church was using this concept of theosis. When the church split, when the Roman Catholic Church became the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox became the Eastern Orthodox, the Eastern Orthodox continued to use this concept of theosis, but the Western Church, which the Protestants are a part of, 
um, started using the understanding of sanctification. The reason why is because theosis was a pagan term. And it makes, it becomes harder because once you start thinking of theosis, I'm becoming divine, right? Now you get into a problem because I'm becoming divine, right? Rather than what the church was trying to emphasize, which was be partaking into the divine nature. And so the Western church said, we're not even gonna mess with that. We're gonna use the biblical language of sanctification rather than the pagan language of theosis. Okay, so that's why we don't use it in our modern vernacular within the church because we moved away from it. But the Greek Orthodox still uses this. They don't mean that you become divine as in you become a god. But this is where Mormons actually get it from. Okay, they get it from this early concept that the church was playing around with. Okay, so that's really important to recognize and understand. Right. And this is the basis, the theological basis, for the idea that people become gods. All right? So Mormons have this theology of people actually becoming gods. So we go through this a lot deeper in our world religions class. Um, but people, they become, they, they're spirit children that come to earth, and they go over time, they be, are um, through the process, they can become back to gods, full gods, and then lesser things as well. So... All right, so theosis, are we clear on what it is? Very clear? Good? Okay. Good enough to get us in trouble? Good. All right. So now what we always do is we always go through the scriptures, right? As believers, we should make sure that we're using scripture right in our own lives. And when someone brings up a scripture, we need to go into it, right? We need to really actually involve ourselves into that scripture. So... He uses a lot of scripture, and in fact, if we were going to continue on into the other um, parts of this, he there's a, I think I said it last week, he gives a whole list, and there's about 15 different scriptures on there, and we have to go through the whole thing because we want to make sure that every scripture is being used correctly. Now, all this is doing, right, like we talked about in Islam, is just helping us understand so that when things happen in our own lives, we can be better prepared, right? We can use what we learn here to do it in other circumstances, right? Okay. So he uses Revelation 2, 26 through 27. And I want you to notice one thing that he, he talks about the Greek, right? We actually did this with Islam. One of the reasons we do Islam first before we do this one is so that you can see how we do things. And now here's a Mormon apologist actually doing the same things we're doing. Okay? I want us to understand that. Alright? So I, I'm not unique, okay? I'm not, I'm not that good, all right? <laughs> okay, so, but, so here's the thing. He's using the King James, and like we talked about with Islam, we use the same version that they put forth because the Word of God is still the Word of God. And so even when someone uses a, a translation, we can still use it because it is the Word of God, unless it's something so crazy that it's just completely off the wall. Um, but, so here we go. So Revelation 2, uh, 2, 26 to 27 says, And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father. So this is Jesus talking, right? He's talking to, and he's specifically talking to a believer or something, right? So he's talking to them. And so... The guy says that the Greek word here for uh, rod is rabidos, and it is, it's rabidos, uh, and it means a stick or a wand. And it's usually in the context of a, of a cudgel, I'm probably saying that wrong, a cane or a baton, and usually of royalty. So this would be kind of, if you ever see um, uh, a pharaoh, an Egyptian pharaoh in there crossed, and one of them's a rod, like a stick. That's what we're talking about. Okay, it's a representation of power of authority. Okay, so this is the the Greek word that's used. All right, so he's right. I want to make that clear that he is right when he says that this is the rod. Okay, that's important, and we'll come back to reason why in a little bit. 
Uh, he uses uh, Esther chapter 5, verse 2, and it was so. Okay, Esther chapter 5, verse 2. Um, and it was so when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter. Okay, there's that rod. Okay, that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. Okay, so this one is, so that last word, harabdos, is Greek. This one is Shevet, um, or Shevet. And it means, it's the same idea. Okay, so it means the, the rod of power. Right. So again, he is right. Right, he's not tricking us. It's it's right. All right, Amos one five and eight. I break also the bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitant from the plain of Babylon, and him that holdeth the scepter from the house of Eden, and the people of Syria shall go into captivity unto Kerr, saith the Lord. And then verse eight. And I will cut off the inhabitant from Ashdod, and him that holdeth the scepter from Ashkelon. And I will turn mine against Ekron, and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, saith the Lord God. Okay? So that word is what we're looking at. And again, it is great. It is the same idea. Now this one is a Shevet, alright? Um, but it is the same idea. It's this, this idea of, it, so in this one it's punishing, it's um, writing, it's fighting, it, but it's that ruling that we're talking about. So it's not the same word, but it's the same idea. Does that make sense? And so in English, we just use the same types of words, right? In Hebrew, there are different words for different things, but they still can mean the same thing. And so it's the same language. Usually, when you start getting into different parts of the Bible and they use different words, um, they, they can be using Babylonian words, Egyptian words, and that's actually very important for um, dating scripture as well. And so, but, so we just kind of just put them all in, oh, it's a scepter, right? Because the, what's trying to help us understand is the purpose of it is ruler, ruling, rulership, okay? So, so, so far, he is correct in what he is saying. And here's an, the other example he gives. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. It's the Shabbat and the ruling one, okay? So... We see a pattern so far? No. Okay, so he is right. So there has been nothing that is said so far um, that is not right. Okay, and here's another one. Uh, but unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. And again, the Greek word is rabidos, and he's actually quoting. So this is one of those times that. What's really neat about the scriptures is that we can correlate certain things, right? We can see how they work. So the, the Hebrew writer here, he goes back into Psalms, which we've already seen, and he uses the same word, but in Greek. So it's the same idea, okay? So we do see a correlation. That the rod that the, the Old Testament talked about, power, is the same type of idea that the New Testament uses. Okay, but, so we're doing this and it might get kind of boring after a while, but I want you to see that he is telling the truth so far, okay? Numbers, so these are all the ones he gives, okay? But we gotta make sure that they're correct. Okay, Numbers, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Seth. This is a messianic prophecy, right? This is Jesus. And so Shabbat, there it is again. Okay? So nothing new so far. Okay? Um, this is actually the, I think I put it in there, this is a fulfillment of Scripture in Matthew. So, Alright? Uh, Isaiah, okay? That was... Okay, so this is important. Okay, so now we're into Isaiah 32, 1, right? And it says, Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes shall rule in judgment. So, so far, and when he was talking, he was bringing us along, right? And he was sharing these verses. He was telling us the Greek. He was telling us the Hebrew. And all of them are correct, right? They're all correct up to this point. Now we're going to see something different. Okay, this is the Hebrew. I'm not going to try to speak it, 
because I'm not fluent in Hebrew, I'm not very good. Okay, um, that's why I give the phonetic um, ways of saying things so that we can all say it. Okay, but the, the literal translation is a king will reign in righteousness, behold will rule. That is the, so if we take Hebrew and we literally translate it, this is how it reads. A king will reign in righteousness and will rule. Do you see something interesting about the translation there? From the King James to the literal translation there. Yeah. What, what was that? Princes. The word princes. In Hebrew, the word princes isn't there. Is what? Is not there. Okay. The word Hebrew, uh, the word princes in the original Hebrew is not there. This is really important. And yeah, it is in ESV. It is in the ESV as well. Yeah. Okay. So we have to, so there are certain things we have to be very careful of that we have to understand here. So, where are we at? Okay. So this is just something I want us to recognize. Okay. Not that this is so far off, but we just need to recognize something that the king shall reign in righteousness and princes shall rule in judgment. That word prince is not in there. So we have to be very careful of what is being talked about. Okay? Because in the original, the king will reign in righteousness, behold will rule, right? So this, it's, the, the Hebrew is focusing on the king, right? But in the translations, we talk about princes, okay? Um, so on the piece of paper here, Echo says with justice and princes it did equal reign. Do we do what? On this piece of paper you gave us. Okay. So it says with justice and princes a king will. Oh this man, so I from up there. Yeah, so I have the wrong slide. So it's my fault. That's not supposed to be in there. No, it's supposed to be up here. So I, want us, so I want us to see that first, okay, that the king, right? Now the princes, they're there, all right? But I want us to see the king and princes, all right? So in your notes, it's correct. So the princes part, but I want you to notice it's the king who rules, okay? Um, the princes are there too, but we'll get into that as we continue on because when we get into later on in Revelation, that's where it's going to become really important, okay? So, Revelation 19.50. And out of his mouth goeth the sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty God. Okay? So we go to the king, right? And now we're shifting back to the scepter. Okay? So... So we went to the scepter, went through all those, then we went to the king, and now we're going back to the scepter, okay, in the, in the thing. So, again, it's the same one, it's correct, okay? Now, let's talk about the kingly attributes, because this is something he says, okay? He says, thus the promise of Revelation 2, 26 and 27 is that he who overcome or, um, will, over, will exercise the same type of kingly attributes and power that is possessed by the Savior. Why does he say this? Because of the one before this. What, what was it? Yeah, just lost it in my mind. Because of because of Isaiah. Okay, that's why he's saying this. So he's connecting these two: the king and the princes. Okay, so the king says is practicing power, right? And so are the princes. So now he takes that idea and we're going to Revelation. So we're going back ahead. So he says, the same type of kingly attributes and power that is possessed by a savior are those we will do it. Okay, it's the idea here. So they who will overcome will exercise the same power of the king um, he doesn't. So, why? Because of Isaiah 32. Right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, we need to understand the king. 
Am I still right where we're at? Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Am I going too fast? No. Okay. I feel like I am. Um, okay. So we need to understand what king is, right? Because a king shall reign in righteousness. Okay. So that's Malak, meaning to be to be or become king, queen, or to reign. Okay. Yeah, I say that because the prince's ruler does not say that they will reign. Okay. So the next one is princes, Sarah, meaning to be or act as a prince to rule. Okay, so princes, king. All right, let's keep going on. We have to understand something to understand. Okay, we need to step to the side real quick so we can understand something of the Bible. Okay, we have this thing called delegation of powers. You guys ever heard this? This term? Um, it's actually in our government. Yeah, it's in most workplaces too. Most yeah. Corporations yeah. yeah. So in in our government, you have the legislature, right? <coughs> you have the executive. Executive and judicial. And then judicial, right? Okay, so these are called powers, right? And so this delegation of powers, so to understand what's going on in the Hebrew, we have to understand this, okay? So let's talk about it. Delegation of powers is the act whereby a political authority invested with certain powers turns over the exercise of those powers in full or in part to another authority. Accordingly, the powers of the delegated are precisely those that belong to the delegate and the actions performed in virtue of the delegation have the same judicial nature as if they had performed the delegate themselves. So, how does the executive branch delegate? Or executive order. Okay. Well, no, that's that's their own power. Okay. They have things called ambassadors. Right? So the executive branch sends out ambassadors to go, say, to China. Right? And the ambassador represents the executive order. And, and then you know, you could say it's actually representing the Constitution, right? Because that actually gives these guys their power. That's the first delegation, right? And then these will delegate. But then you have the legislature. They have delegation of power, right, to certain things. And then the judicial system, you have smaller judges as you go down, right? So there's a delegation of powers. We need to understand that to under, to, so we can move forward here. I wish our president understood that. Well... Okay, so that's just where it comes from. All right, so because of that, so we have this in our mind, right? So eventually we'll get to this point. All this will eventually make sense. We're talking about a king shall reign in righteousness and princes shall rule in judgment, okay? The king is the main, the main power and then the princes are delegations. Okay, so that's where it all fits in, all right? Okay, this is another quote he says. In order to attain these attributes and powers, a Christian would have a, to, of course, need to become a king. Okay, so for, the, for in order to have those, he's saying that the prince would have to have the power, right? <coughs> So you'd have to have the, become the king. So the prince would have to become a king. They'd okay, have the power. Okay? Um, which is precisely what the Apostle John attested to in Revelation 1.6 where he stated that the followers of Christ have been made kings. Now I want, I want us to see this. The first part of this was we were focused on scepter. Right? Okay. Everything he said was correct, right? We already saw that, right? Mm -hmm. And now he switched to king. Yeah. Okay. Switched the king. We went real quick back to the scepter. Yeah, because the king has scepter. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And now he said, in order to have this, the power, we must become like the king. Okay, so that's the quote, right? And then he says, and I can prove it, right? 
He says, which is precisely what the Apostle John said. So now he's going back to Scripture and he says, okay, this is in Revelation 1, 6. So he says, now I'm going to prove all this, right? So let's... Alright. So, let's look at Revelation 1, 6. Okay, so so far we're good, right? Okay, there, there's princes, but he wants to focus on the king. Okay, it's a scepter. Okay, now we're here. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So it looks like, right, from the scripture that he got, so Christ has made us king, right? That's what the scripture says. Right? So far. Let's just, right? Okay. All right. So let's look at what is going on in the scriptures. So this word king is basilia, meaning kingdom. All right? That's really important. So in, if we are literally translated, he has made us a kingdom to God. Okay, so kingdom priests to God. So, what is, do you have ESV? Did you? Yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, the it says it made us a, a kingdom, comma, priest to his God, to God, his God Father. Right. Yeah. So, so the idea here in Revelation one six, the King James translates it as king. Okay? But that's not actually what the Greek says. The Greek says kingdom. Now this is a very important thing. Yeah, it changes the meaning. It changes the entire meaning. Because in one sense, if we are kings, we got the scepter. We have the scepter. And we can attain theosis. But if we are a kingdom, what's that mean? We have only delegated power. We're princes. Yeah, we're princes. And you're not the king, right? You're in the hierarchy here, you have the king up here, and he has all the power. Instead, we are the prince. Which is in the kingdom. In the kingdom. And we are kingdom. So all of us together... With the delegated power. Right, we're, we have delegated power. And it all hint, and But what I want us to see here is that it was all right. It was all right. And then we got here. Mm-hmm. And one word flips everything. Yep. Either one way or the other. This is why words in theology are so important. And this is why making sure that um, when we start reading the Bible, that we go, okay, do I really become king? Or do I, or is it something else, right? Um, this is why I, I give you, you know, the Bible hub. That is an easy way to find a, what's called an interlinear Bible, which gives you the Greek or the Hebrew, and then puts it in English underneath. You can go, you can search the word and understand what that word says. You can see where other parts of the Bible have that word. Because the reason why it says king is, whoops, let me drop that, is because um, this is one of the things we have to understand about the KGB, is they were using only a small amount of manuscripts when they translated King James Version, which is, it's not bad. It's not a bad version. But also, this idea of king, it could mean something different to, to the KGB translators. And so, but the proper word is kingdom. And so, that's why in a lot of your modern translations, it will say kingdom. And then it says kingdom priest. That's the literal and oh, that's the kingdom comma. Yeah. yeah comma. So in the ESV, they do a comma because they're bringing your attention to there's another place in um, uh, Peter, he calls us a kingdom of priests. 
And so the idea here is we're a kingdom, meaning we're being ruled, right? We are the kingdom, just like we are the body type of idea. And what are we? We're priests within the kingdom. So what this is actually doing is it's giving us two things. Who we are and what we're doing. So we are not king, meaning we exercise that power, but rather we are the kingdom. And actually what we exercise is priestly duties. Wasn't there somebody else made this false assumption way back there when Satan himself thought he was... Yeah, he was a king. Yeah. He was going to be a king. Yeah, so you can see, so this, this is where the theosis is. I can become king. And this is why um, certain groups only use certain translations. That's why I always tell people, don't, don't get too embedded into one translation. Because what translations do is they're, they're translating from the, the original and trying to help you understand it. And so sometimes they'll paraphrase, right? And that's where you get, so like your NASB <coughs> or your ESV, so your... Um, NASB, New American Standard Bible, yeah. and your ESV, your English Standard Version. Extra spiritual. Yeah, the extra spiritual version. <laughs> um, this is one that all the, good, the cool kids use. Um, but um, they are what's called literal. So they'll take exactly what it says, and you'll have a more literal translation. And they're called wooden translations, because when you read them, you're like, oh my gosh, this is so boring. Because they're just taking it from the literal, all what we did. And all they do is they just put it into English grammar. But it's a, it's a wooden translation. But then you get into ones like the NIV, and, or we'll go further, you have the New Living Translation. That's a paraphrase, right? And so what they're doing is they're not going to take the literal word, but rather the concept. Right? So they might not use scepter, they might say the ruling rod. Does that make sense? What's the version that takes like a whole column to translate one verse? Well, that, that's where you get into the real extreme paraphrases. Yeah. So like the message, um, it's, it was never actually, like the guy that did it, didn't consider it a an actual translation. Now this was a, a, a popular translation. Well, the message. It's probably the message. No, no. You know what it is, Sally? International? No. No, the international would be the bridge between these two. I have a copy. I just can't think of the name of it. It's a... The Living Bible? It, no. No. It's, English? Hmm? English Standard? No. I'll, I'll think you have to look it up. Next year. But I just want us to see that because with the with Islam, right, with Zakir Knight, you started and it was like you could hear it that it was false. Like if you've been been reading the Bible enough, um, you can like it just things went off. Yeah. Like when you listen to them. But in this one, it was perfect. It was yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. And then you get here, and it's, well, that must be true. That's the idea. Given enough true information, eventually you won't know when the false one goes in. And that's what we have to be really careful about. That's why we, we go through every single verse that's given, that we just don't take it. And that's why I would suggest, like, if you're talking to someone and they're using the King, King James, to go into NASB, at least. Because the NASB is considered probably the best translation from the Greek or from the Hebrew. The next one is one that I just discovered. It's called the NET. I have one of them. Okay. It's this, got tons of notes in it. Yeah. This, this was made. Expensive. To yeah, buy. it is very expensive. We're talking like almost a hundred bucks. Well, I got mine for like fifty, and my son said I got it for a steal. You did. You, like I was going to get one because I was in the course, and they're like, you know, if you want uh, extra information, hey, stop it back there. Um, it's allergy season. It is. 
Um, but this one was, I think, a lot of Dallas seminary professors worked on this one. So it's very seminary, like, and that's why there's so much notes. So this is another one. So I would suggest getting one of these. I like the ESV just because it's an easier read than the NASB. Um, but compare those translations because, and this is a like really good translation. I have one. It's just really wooden. Don't sit down and think you're gonna have an easy time reading it. Okay, but the ESV is probably a little bit easier to read. Okay, but we need to compare as well because we're not versed in Greek and Hebrew. And so we really have to be more reliant on the translators. And I don't trust any human. Okay? So I have NASB, I have an ESV, I have an NIV, I have a New Living Translation, I have a message. I have all these different versions so that I can see how each of the translation teams translates these words. And then I have access to the interlinear to see, okay, this is how it was said, and this is, now I understand why it was translated this way, because all these guys have their own philosophy of translation as well. So, so we have to be careful of that, and we have to take the time, okay? So another thing he says is, this is a strong allusion to some type of initiation ceremony. So he talks about the kingdom stuff, right? About the king, and he talks about an initiation. So he's talking about this, Revelation 1-6, and an initiation um, thing, right? And he's talking about back in the Hebrew days. He says, a case for actual particip participation in regal rites is strengthened by a comparison of the promise in Revelation 2-26 and 27 with an acknowledged Israelite coronation text in Psalm 2-8-9. Okay, so, that, so he's making a claim. He's saying Revelation, so this goes back to Revelation 2, which we talked about earlier, Revelation 2. And he says this idea has this connection in Psalm, oops, I just messed it up, Psalm uh, 2, 8, and 9. Okay? So what do we need to do? We need to go to Psalm 2, and 8, 8 and 9, right? Okay. So let's look at that. Psalm 2, 8, and 9. Ask of me, and I shall give you the, the heathen. Okay, I just want to bring us out these words, okay? The heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So, just reading that, do you see a coronation? Anything to do with the coronation, though? Making a king. The rod. Okay, so there's the rod, right? The ruler. And he says, I shall give you the heathen for thy inheritance and the utmost parts of the earth for thy possession. So there is this idea of a king, right, taking possession. So this could, just from reading it, it could be a coronation thing, right? So if we're reading that, it might work. So we'll get into it, but so far, this is what I want us to see. It's good, it's good, it's good. If we're not paying attention, it still looks good, right? We come down here, we're re we read this, okay, it still looks good, right? That one little piece, okay? If we were paying attention, we would miss it, okay? So let's continue on. So this word goes, um, or goin, uh, is heathen, okay? So that just, so the King James uses heathen, just meaning nations other than Israel. Okay, so that's just, it's not its not a derogatory, really. It's just a recognition that these are not Israel. Okay, um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, again, it's Shabbat. Okay, so we're, everything's okay so far. Okay. In context, this is another thing, remember, we have to do. So not only do we have to look at the language, we have to look at the context, right? Um, and so it says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine um, image of vain thing? Imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves at the rulers take counsel together against <coughs> the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them 
in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my yet have I set my king upon um, sorry, yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. So when we go to that verse, who's it talking about? About the son? About the son. Yeah. And who's the son? Jesus. It's about Jesus. I just love this one. Every time I hear somebody being so arrogant, I always think of sons too. Yeah. So that's the thing, is this song right here, it has nothing to do with this. It is focused on, on Jesus, who is the king, right? King of kings. So this is the thing, taking out a piece, it's right. It's talking about the scepter. It is talking about a kingdom being given, right? Except what's being talked about has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with Jesus. So verses eight and nine are part of this whole song. Yeah. So that'd be the next oh, part of it. Okay. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just the so, song. Yeah. They just took out one. That one part. Two verses and. And made it about us. Yeah. When in in context, it's about it, this is a messianic yeah. prophecy, Absolutely. and it's all about Jesus. And so this is this is the problem. If we're following this. And we're just like, oh yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right. And we're not paying attention. And we get to hear, oh yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right. We are theosis. We are to become kings. But the reality is, it's this delegation of power. You have the king. And in, in this psalm, it's Jesus get, getting the whole of the earth. It's his kingdom. It's not us. What are we? We are actually the kingdom. We are his inheritance here. We are the heathen. We are the Gentiles. Right? We are his inheritance as he's being given and his rulership over us. And so it's actually nowhere near what is being talked about in this video. And that's really important for us to know. And the reason why we do this one is because... Um, Again, Islam, the Islam one, it sends off bells as soon as you start listening to it. But this one, not so much. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's sneaky. Yeah, it's a lot sneakier. It's the same with Jehovah's Witness. And so that's why we have to be really, that's why the things that we talked about in Islam, we have to apply greater here. Okay. So we talked about that. Okay. So this could be a psalm written by David at his coronation, right? It could be. That one part, except we have the interpretation. Um, Acts 4, 25, 26. And when they heard that, when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth, heaven and earth and sea, and all that in that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage? Okay. So the church now is interpreting Psalm 2. This is how we can know that it is a, a true messianic um, prophecy of Jesus. Because the church is interpreting this. And it says, And the people imagined vain things. The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered against, together against the Lord and against his Christ. So he's... So the church is saying, Jesus. This psalm is about Jesus. And so that's how, that's the easiest way for us to know. And then Paul says, And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, and that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So, Paul, so the early church said it, and then Paul comes back and says, yeah, the second song, that's about Jesus. So we know for certain that that song has nothing to do with us. 
except that we are the heathen. That is now Christ's kingdom. So we're in there. And right now the heathens certainly are raging. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? And so, and then to, let's just add more insult to injury. The writer of Hebrews does this. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. This is a reference to that song. Because if we were to keep reading, we would get these other references. So this is why it's so important for us to pay attention. Okay? So we may say, okay, let's grant that idea that, yeah, this is a an Israelite coronation text. Okay, let's just grant that idea. Alright? But because of scripture, interpreting scripture, right? It's interrupted by the early church as specific that should be interpreted, not interrupted. It's interpreted by the early church as specifically being a messianic prophecy. Therefore, it is Jesus who is the king, not his followers. And so that's really important too. This is why Bible reading is so important in our lives. Um, we talked about, uh, back in November, we did a series in church called uh, Counterfeit. And through that series, we talked about the counterfeit gospel. And how it, it tries to do things like this. It tries to take the word of God and twist it. To make it about us when it's really about God. And so there, there's a verse in Romans where it says. Um, where people will use it and say. Uh, it says God calls things that weren't into being. I'm paraphrasing. And people will take that and say. We can call things into, that weren't into being. Because they just have to take God out. Sends eternal nature to grasp power. Or, yeah. I mean, and that's what we're saying, yeah. right? We are trying to usurp the king. Mm -hmm. And so, okay. So, that's it. My thought I, I guess on this is, you know, we, the cre his creation, man, you know, I mean, we, nobody, nobody, no man is going to share top spot with another man who's right. going to be kind. So can you imagine if there was more than one guy? Right. <laughs> the wars? Well, and that's just what happened. You know, when Satan said he thought he was an equal. That's why I did it. Well, there can only be one in charge, right. ultimately. The example you gave of the legislation, executive, and judicial makes me think of the founders of this country. They, they were so literate and so well versed in the Bible that they would set this up. Yeah, this is actually based off scripture. Yeah. yeah. We can actually see within our this, government. This is the this is how now they get to stop the government from doing certain things. Right. But this is actually what we see within, last week we talked about the economic trinity. Mm -hmm. This is actually, our government, you can see, is based on the economic trinity. And this is, so I'm not, we're not going to get into all that. Because <laughs> no. we spent 30 minutes on it last week. <laughs> but if you think about it, like, one and three, the constitution and three forms of yeah. branches. Like, this idea of delegate, of delegate authority is really biblical, not just in, like... And people call this a democracy, and Benjamin Heinemann said, it's a republic, you well, yeah. keep it. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so I just, just through this little thing, I know... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, another thing that I believe is used by the, the Mormons is uh, Ezekiel 37, the two sticks, Joseph, and put them together, and... Yeah. Right. And don't, don't mind me. I did a big paper on Mormonism yeah. years ago. There, there's a lot, and we in the world religions, we go actually in depth into their beliefs. Um, and so all that we're doing through this is just to recognize this yeah. is things that people use. And, it, and it's not just the Mormons. Um, Jehovah's Witness do this um, very sneakily, like John 1 1. Um, you know, and it talks about the word, and they throw in A, like the, the word A. Mm -hmm. And again, one word can completely change theology. Yeah. 
And I think so. in the messenger too, I was writing on Job one time, and something about standing at the end days, I know mm -hmm. I'll be there. It's changed in the message. It takes a, the, the, eternal, the eternal thing of it out of it totally. Yeah. So I don't think the message was ever intended to be a study Bible. It's no. not. Yeah, Peterson has stated that um, yeah. he never intended it to be a he Bible. Did, he says oh. that he wrote that living Bible for his. Um, at that time, they were uh, junior high school kids. Yeah. His kids were, and he wrote that for them. Yeah. So they could understand. Yeah, it. to make it a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. So I will, like um, um, Nancy back there. She she's trying to. Get her granddaughter um, to read the Bible, and the message is a good place yeah, to start absolutely. if if someone's real into reading. Mm -hmm. And once they understand, mm -hmm. then you move them away from that into a better translation, so they can actually study. Because that is something that we need as Christians is to actually study. Um, and that's why I say, like, I preach from the NIV because it's a very simple, straightforward. But I study, and I do all my study and things I write off of the ESV. Um, because that is actually a study, what I consider a study Bible. The NIV you can study from too. But I, the closer you can get to the original language is, a, is the best. Um, but yeah, so um, I just want to send you guys off with just, even when someone makes it look really, really nice, always check. Well, that's always. what Satan does. Yeah. That's it. That's how he rolls. All right. Genesis 3, right? Did God actually say? Yeah. It's a symbol of the twisting. Yeah. So. And it's done all the time. Yeah, all the time. And there's this big movement going on now about changing the meanings of words. Right. Well, and so. In the world. <laughs> there's a viral um, video out right now about a guy. And he talks about Christ being racist, you know, and he uses uh, this the uh, scripture about Christ's encounter with the lady, um, and he says oh, the, the dogs. dogs. Yeah, um, And so that whole thing. Well, what they don't realize is by putting modern stuff on there, what you just did was you just Christ is no longer sinless. And so if he's not sinless, then salvation is impossible. But what he's pointing out there is that she just stuck with her argument. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. And so by your faith, yeah. you're healed. But well, I'm not talking about the Bible. I'm talking about just well, the English language. Yeah. Yeah. There's this movement to redefine words that we right. thought we knew the meaning of for centuries. Yeah. That's I point. always tell people, someday you'll get the opportunity you can take it up with God. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So there's another uh, four weeks in the rest of this. So we're not doing all that. Um, but I just wanted us to see this one thing. And so there's a lot more. Appreciate that. Yeah. So, because I wanted to contrast it with Islam. So that's why we did it. All right. So I'm gonna pray, and then if you guys want to sing in the choir for Good Friday, they're having a practice. So that's there. You really want people to leave? Run I did sing in the junior and senior choir all through school. No. You just mounted. No, no, no. no. <laughs> but let me explain. As I got older, I discovered a frog crawl on my toe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I even had one gal tell me, you know, you could really lead this. You don't have much of a voice, but you can. But it's a frog. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. It sounds good together. Yeah, joyful. Voice. God says make a joyful noise of the Lord. He doesn't yeah. say it has to be too. Right. You, you, you poke along with a bullfrog like yeah. me. Yeah. And I prayed so many times. Just please give me back my sweet little soprano voice. In glory. Yeah. All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Uh, Lord, help us. Help us to have discernment. Lord, I pray for that gift for everyone in this room that we'd be able to discern. Um, truth from, from the lies and that we would see where your spirit's moving and that we'd only follow you, that we wouldn't follow even even I, I don't want people following me, Lord. I want people to follow you, so Lord, help us to do that. Help us to stay in step with the spirit, have our eyes focused on Jesus. And Lord, I pray for 
especially right now with Easter and everything, that if you bring people into our lives, help us to direct them towards you um, through your word, through the testimony you've given us. And Lord, when things come on, we have those issues where we're, where we're in conflict, bring, bring resolution, bring uh, your word into our minds, help us to see and have a discernment. Uh, Lord, I ask that you protect everyone here. Protect them as they uh, go back to uh, their places and dwelling places. Uh, so, Lord, I ask all that in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.